Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown. Where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes in the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspired to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music, the tall tales, the true stories, and the current goings-on, brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter and swim buck-naked in the summer. Welcome to episode 13 of WFHB's Brown County Hour. I'm Janice Pierce. I'm Rick Fettig, and we'll be your host tonight. Hey, Rick, driving here sure was hazardous. So many leaf gawkers, including me. Yeah, the colors seem especially brilliant after the rains finally came. Aren't we lucky to live in Brown County? Yep, we sure are. So what do we have on the show tonight? Well, from our conversations with the Elders Project, we dug up an interview with Andy Rogers, one of our town's benefactors for sure. Then we sent reporters Vera and Pam to cover the We Care Gang outhouse races. Yep, that inspired me to write a skit for our live show at the Brown County Inn during WFHB's Fun Drive. We re-recorded it for our show tonight. Rick, there's music from that show as well. Locals Marvin Parrish with two songs from his new CD, and Scott Freed, who just performed his song at the Songwriters Showcase event. And Hank Swain, that tall tale teller feller, has a tale for us. Let's not forget the arts. Vera interviews fiber artist Sarah Noggle. And some poetry to fill in from Melanie Volan and Vera Grubbs. Sounds like a good show, Rick. Well, let's start out by going to the race. Outhouse races, that is. What is that smell? already. Hey, Vera. Well, here's our first assignment covering uh, community events as a team. Yes. And you were saying it was the outhouse race? Outhouse races. What do you suppose that's about? Outhouses. <laughs> Not in-houses. Are you all right? It's something getting through this crowd. Excuse me. Hey. Okay. Oh, look at this one. Phantom of the Opera. Are you the one riding down it? Yes, I am. Yes, you look dressed like the Phantom. Okay, are we ready, ladies and gentlemen? So how do you think your thing's going to go. perform? I, this is the best one, outhouse two, I've had, but three, I don't think let I'm going from watching these others, I don't think I have a chance. Ah, why Why is that? Because this outhouse weighs too much. Ah, so there's a whole and secret. And the wider one's like, yes. watch that white and how far it goes. Well, it seems like they should uh, standardize them so well, everybody has the same. But it's all in fun. I, I think they do, but they sort of standardize in dimensions, not in weight. I see. Okay. Well, good luck anyway. Well, thank you. Yeah, look, Vera, there's one that says crap shooter. 
better go check Good luck! Okay, thank you. Here they go. Here they go. Wow, the McDonald's is pulling way ahead. So then after they get through the first round, then the other ones have to uh, play off each other. Right. It's an elimination. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here they go. Okay, they're uh, backing them up, getting them into position. This will determine the winner of uh, uh, Division One. Division One. Final for Division One. Oh, that guy's WD-40-ing the wheels. <laughs> One, two, three, four. There they go. They're off and running. Brown County Lions pulling ahead. Ah, so it isn't the lightest. You have to have enough weight to kind of get going. Because theirs is plywood and the PVC light one just didn't have enough weight to be first. Okay. Lines Did Club. we learn a lesson in physics? <laughs> <laughs> Aerodynamics. Yeah. We're recording some of this. Hey, Bob, Bob Curlin, you're <laughs> with the you. We Care Gang. Where does the money that you raise go? Uh, yes, I am with the We Care Gang. Uh, all the money that we raise through this event and through donation goes to assist our Brown County people. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, our mission statement is we try to fill the cracks people will go to the churches the trustees salvation army and then we're kind of the last resort saying can you help us and we usually help them and how do they get a hold of you the services themselves they filter them down to us okay so the salvation army could call us the churches could call us and that, uh-huh. at that point in time uh, we, we will help how many years this event been this, going this is the eighth year yeah and probably we have given about forty thousand dollars back to the community, so yeah. we don't really go directly to. I didn't realize those outhouses were so loud. (laughs) Maybe that's why they are illegal. Thanks for coming, Sheriff Randy. I came out this morning and found my outhouse tipped over. I bet it was some of those kids all jacked up on bath salts or Folgers crystals or some such. Now, now, Vera, let's see what we've got here. You do know these outhouses are illegal, don't you? But it's a family heirloom, Sheriff. 
The moon in the door is from our family crest. Now nah, it's a mess. It'll never be the same, even if I can get it upright again. Look there, Barney. What's that down there? Hmm, it's awfully small and soft, Sheriff. Oh my goodness, it's girls' underwear. Now how can you tell it's girls' underwear? Well, these pink-bowed Hello Kitty britches labeled Tuesday could be a man's, I suppose. We are just a couple hills over from Monroe County, and you never know what you might find there. Barney, get a sniff on them, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, after my careful urinalysis, they smell like underwear. No, not you, Barn. Let the dogs get a sniff and see what happens. Oh, okay. Look, they got it. They've got a trail. Should we go with it? Yeah, yeah, let's go, while the Dutch oven is still warm. Sheriff, I think you'd better give me the bullet. This could be a dangerous manhunt. Anyone desperate enough to leave a pair of panties in a place like this is capable of anything. I think you'll be safe without the bullet barn. We'll let you know, Vera, what we find out. Look, the dogs have brought us, well, they brought us to Mary Beth's place. Hello, Mary Beth. Sorry to bother you. Why, hello, Sheriff Randy. Hi, Barney. What can I do for you fellers this morning? What's with all the dogs? Well, this is awkward, Mary Beth. But Vera got up this morning, and her outhouse was tipped over. And when we put the hounds on it, they led us here. I didn't know anything about it. I couldn't flip that outhouse if I tried. I didn't do it. I didn't know anything about it. Now, we found this underwear near the floor of the outhouse, Mary Beth. After close examination, we're pretty sure they're women's panties. And when the dogs got the scent, they let us hear. Oh, Randy, oh, please, please don't take me to jail. I didn't tip the outhouse over on purpose. It was an accident, I swear. Should have covered, Sheriff. She might run. I, I don't think that'll be necessary, Barn. Mary Beth, now just calm down a minute and <laughs> oh. I'll tell us what happened. Oh, oh. well... I was out mushroom hunting. I know some great spots for morels, but I was out so long, I needed to, well, you know, relieve myself. But the new ordinance says it's illegal to pee in public because we've done away with squatters' rights. Who wants to get fined $500 for letting nature take its course? So I, I kept walking quickly but carefully, and before long there was Vera's outhouse. It was like, Holy Brown County, relief is just an outhouse away. And? Well, I was just about halfway done. The pressure was off, and I was taking a deep breath, you know, relaxing like you do. Then I looked down, and there, between my legs... Now, Mary Beth, a, careful, careful. It was a snake, Sheriff. A snake was coiled up right there on the floor. My undies were down at my ankles, and I swear I could feel that snake moving across my toes. I jumped up onto the bench. The seat hole was in the center, so I had to jump to one side. And when I did, the outhouse tipped over. I crawled out and ran home as quickly as I could. I must have forgotten all about my panties. It <laughs> happens to me all the time. Barn, <laughs> barn. That's enough. Oh, oh, oh. Mary oh, Beth, Mary Beth, just oh. relax. Everything's going to be okay. Mary Beth, here's your panties back, just as you left them. 
They sure are soft and pretty. Personally, I prefer John Wayne boxers, but they're rough and Barn, tough. And, uh, Barn, can't you see this woman's in distress? Please don't take me to jail. Am I in trouble? I didn't mean to tip that outhouse over. I just had to go so bad. Now, now, I'm sure everything will be okay. We'll talk to Vera and explain. You might have to get some friends or your brothers to help you get it upright and maybe do some repairs. Oh, thank you, Randy. You're so understanding. Hey, I was just getting ready to fry up some of those shrooms. I may have lost track of my undies, but I never let loose of my morels. Mary Beth, I couldn't think of a better ending to this case. Fried mushrooms. I want to hear some of the music that was in our show. Here's Marvin Parrish with a ballad entitled The Ballad of Dick Haversham.
muscle shows They sat down for a drink after his show He was an inner man from a record label He laid a contract out on the table Yeah, he laid a piece of paper out on the table He said, Dick, you never have to play a corner again If you sign on a line and he gave him a pen This is the last time you play this bar Cause the whole damn world's gonna know who you are We'd never heard a picker as good as him No, we'd never heard a picker as good as him The next night we played at the Hatchet Stone A funky little bar outside of San Antonio Dudes couldn't get the chicks to even look their way Cause they were flocked around Dick just watching him play Flocked around Dick just watching him play Such a shame what he did just over a girl Didn't know what he was taking from the rest of the world Cause there never was a picker as good as him And there'll never be a picker as good as him No one's really sure where Dick was laid They just threw him in an unmarked pauper's grave He died before the age of 21 And there was so much music that was left undone Whoever has that guitar, they will never know That the strumming on Dick's very soul No, there never was a picker as good as him And there'll never be a picker as good as him right back after station ID. Welcome back to episode 13 of the Brown County Hour on WFHB. Here's one of our published town elders, Hank Swain, with a tale about a dancing bear in old Brown County. The Bear of Bear Wallow. 
Before we moved to Brown County many years ago, I had lived my formative years in the flat farmland near the town of Pendleton. It was customary for our family to make a pilgrimage to Brown County each spring and autumn to get a break from the flat farmland of Indiana. We always stopped at the Bearwalla Hill Overlook. You could see the fire tower in the state park, and looking northwest you could find the tower in the Morgan Monroe State Forest as a little blip on the horizon. The two-story white farmhouse across the road from the Overlook platform was the residence of Marcus Dickery, secretary to Hoosier poet James Wickstrom Riley. For the amusement of the tourists, they had placed a sign in a little ring depression in the front yard of the, that read, Bears are not wallowing today. Some years later, my wife and I purchased 40 acres two miles east of the Wallow Hill and the valley watershed of Wallowhalla Creek. Now, my farmer neighbor, Tyson Milo, known locally as Ty, related a story that his grandpappy told him about the last bear to be sighted in Brown County. His grandpappy, Zeke Milo, had the nickname of Jigger, because he liked to dance the jig. Now this is the story that Ty related it. Jigger was walking up a Walla Holler Road one day when coming around a curve he was confronted by a brown bear walking down the middle of the road. The mutual surprise stopped both of them in their tracks. The bear stood up to confront the stranger before <coughs> And Jigger raised his arms above his head, thinking it might make him look more comfortable to the bear and more formidable. To his surprise, the bear mimicked his action. Stymied as to his next move, Jigger took one step to his right. He was even more astonished to see the bear take the same action. He took two steps to his left, and the bear did the same. Jigger began to suspect he had confronted one special bear. Could this bear have a sense of rhythm? Jigger began to hum a tune, taking two steps to his right and then two to his left. Jigger had never seen a bear grin, but he thought he saw a trace of a smile as the bear followed his lead. This went on for some time, with Jigger singing in his loudest voice. After several tunes and dancing, a little dust began to rise because of their scuffling feet. When Jigger stopped, the bear stopped. For a moment, he thought about approaching the bear as a dancing partner, for he had never had become convinced that this was a she-bear because no male bear could ever swivel hips that deliciously. No dancing partner at Mike's Dance Barn on Saturday night had the easy rhythm of this bear. Jigger took one step forward, and the bear took one step backward. Being a female bear, she intuitively read his thoughts and decided it was time to end the dance before Jigger got serious. She headed off towards the woods. At the edge, she stopped for a moment, turned, raised both halls twice, <coughs> 
as if in jubilation and rumbled off into the undergrowth. Now the next Saturday night at Mike's dance barn, Jigger had quite a story to tell. He went through all the motions of his encounter in relating his story. The band hesitantly began to improvise a tune to match Jigger's story and dance steps. The rapt audience began to join in in the rhythm of his motions, and soon they were all learning a new dance step. As the dance ended, they thrust their arms up, shouting twice, Go Bear! This new step became a popular feature at the barn, and they named it the Bear Wallow Shuffle. Now, Jigger felt a sense of loss when the bear left him standing in the road. Never had he had a prospective dance partner learn the new steps so quickly and smoothly, and he felt rebuffed when the bear stepped back when he stepped forward. Now, if he had just smiled when he had stepped forward or extended his hand, would things have turned out another way? He often wondered about that and what happened to the bear. Well, years passed, and arthritis took its toll on Jigger's dancing. He sold his farm and moved to town. And with a cane as his partner, he was able to walk to the post office every morning and stop at the Lars bench on the courthouse lawn to visit with his buddies and watch the tourists. Now, while at the post office one fine morning, October, he spied a poster about a circus coming to Indianapolis, and as he studied the performance listed, his eyes rested on an act performed by Llewellyn, the dancing bear. Llewellyn, Llewellyn, he said in a quiet voice. Perfect, he thought, for it had a nice rhythm to it. Could it be the same bear, he wondered? If he went to the circus, would she recognize him? He would have aged a lot in appearance, while the bear's appearance would not. Would he know if the Llewellyn was the same bear he had encountered? Well, Jigger pondered all day about going to the circus. He had to admit he had been attracted to this bear and had fantasized having a bear as more than just a dancing partner. She would have fulfilled his dream as the perfect dancing partner. He thought about the sex part, but not for long. The lack of that would be compensated by the long winter hibernation when he could spend hours with his poker buddies through the winter days around a warm stove. That night he had a seizure that affected his speech and left his mobility compromised. Those who sat with him that night said they saw a smile across his face, and he whispered, Llewellyn, yes, Llewellyn, then sighed his last breath. The Democrat newspaper said he died of natural causes at age 78. Those closer to Jigger thought he might have died of a broken heart. Was the prospect of seeing this bear more than his old heart could bear? Did the last bear to be sighted in Brown County become the circus-performing bear? 
Only the forest knows. Sometimes, when I walk down Walla Walla Road at twilight, I think I hear a deep voice in the woods imploringly calling, Llewellyn, Llewellyn. Gee, all that talk about dancing puts me in the mood for more music. It's not my fault, cried Mario. Then drop the gun into the gutter. Ran to the alley where the darkness hid his face Fell to his knees, started to mutter Sometimes I drink too much Sometimes I smoke too much Sometimes there's too much grief not to Most times I testify To grace from glory high Then sometimes I just forgot to Babs like the loudest stereo She turned it up and started dancing She didn't care who watched In fact, that's what she's after Wasn't what you'd call romancing Sometimes she drinks too much Sometimes she smokes too much Sometimes there's too much grief not to Most times she testifies To grace from glory high Then sometimes she just forgot to Corner suite was John's objective And of course a lot more money The deals were cut now, had to roll it all on paper So he believed in milk and honey Sometimes he drinks too much Sometimes he smokes too much Sometimes there's too much grief not to Most times he testified To grace from glory high Then sometimes he just forgot to Sometimes you drink too much 
great Janice he can belt out a song that's for sure we have so much good music in this county don't forget the artists Rick especially in October with the back road studio tour going on experience the arts and nature in Brown County for this segment Vera visited the studio of fiber artist Cyril Noggle this is Vera Grubbs with the Brown County Hour for WFHB and I'm here with Sarah Noggle in her studio Sarah, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing real good. It's a pretty day out, and uh, I'm weaving and and doing handwork and uh, taking walks with my dog. That's good. Do I recall that the Noggle family is a Brown County family, or where did they come from? I lived here as a child. I moved here with my parents when I was two and a half and lived here until I was around nine. So when I had kids growing up, I decided I wanted to bring them back to Brown County to grow up because I liked it so much as a child and uh, was miserable when we left it when I was nine years old. I think it never left my my being. I needed to come back. And uh, so now we've been here for 32 years. At what point did you start your weaving? At what point did you know that's going to be your niche? I started weaving when uh, I think my third child was just shortly before she was born. Uh, I realized I needed something... Um, to do that was creative other than raising kids which was creative and and they gave me inspiration and uh, they enjoyed that whole process of learning and having looms and threads and spinning wheels all around them growing up. Did you have one moment when you knew that you were meant to be doing this? A fiber artist. You know, it, it's interesting. I remember as a child living here, walking up to a loom, and it was the 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 front beam of the loom was 
I was at the height of the front beam of the loom. <laughs> My yeah. nose was right there, and I remember seeing across the surface of what was being woven, and it was had sparkles in it and, and texture to it. And it was a woman here in the county. Her I knew her as Grandma Purse, or Grandma Percival, and um, she did a lot of weaving and was um, well known in all of Indiana and Kentucky as a weaver. And that was my first memory of weaving. And um, I realized just this past summer that when I was in high school, I had a friend whose mother was a weaver, and she had, I remember, sitting at her loom. My sister took weaving in college, and I had decided, well, that's her thing, so I won't do that. But when I moved here to Brown County again in... uh, I decided that I wanted to get my hands in on it. And there was um, a store in Bloomington that taught weaving. So I took my first classes over at Yarns Unlimited. You ended up teaching there as well, did you not? I did. I, I started off teaching spinning there, and then I worked in the store for many, many years and managed it the last couple of years um, that I worked there. Yeah, it was it was a great way to be inspired, uh, having lots and lots of weavers coming in and te- textile people. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Sarah, it's been such a pleasure. It's been fun, Vera. <laughs> Enjoyed it. This is Vera Grubbs with the Brown County Hour for WFHB. We'll be right back after another station ID. Welcome back to episode 13 of the Brown County Hour. Local businessman and town father, Andy Rogers, talks about the beginning of his time here. I'm Pam Rader. I'm here with a conversation with Andy Rogers. Andy, I always thought of you as the town father and found out you really weren't from here. Well, my father came here in 1927. That was before I was born. What year were you born? You're not. 31. And he came here just to visit? No, 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 no. He came, the, he, uh, he, was, he lived in Bloomington. He was raised in Bloomington. And uh, he had a job with Marmon Harrington Company, which used to make automobiles in Indianapolis. And he worked for them, and that's how he got, they used to bring their cars down to Brown County just to try them out to see if they'd hold up. 
So he that's how he got the broadcast. Was was he like a kind of engineer or something? No, or? he was a, he was a, in in the business. He was also in the publishing business. He used to work his uh, cousin used to run the paper in Bloomington and he worked for him when the, the Nashville house burned down. He worked for him for a while. And so those were the days when the roads were real ruddy and Oh yeah. And so if the that's, car held up in Brown County it pretty that's much right. that's right. Huh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. He acquired the Nashville house, didn't he? he well he and two partners. Uh, one was uh, Dale Basir and the other oh. one Fred Bates Johnson. So they came down and, and bought thousands of acres down here. And then when they split up my father took the the hotel, the uh, attorney took the land and it was several thousand acres. The Basir took the orchards. The Nashville house was a hotel then? That's right. Uh-huh. And this was before or after it burned? Before it burned. Uh, you see they came down here and they uh, took the Nashville house and literally sawed it in two and took the one half that they faced the courthouse and they took one half and took and moved it sideways so then it faced Van Buren Street. The Nashville house as it is now, parts of it are original. No, no, no. Oh, it's all been rebuilt. Yeah, it burned down. And that was in what? 1940-something. And then your dad had some part in the park. Oh, yeah, he ran the park. We ran the park for... Uh, my father ran it in the 40s. I ran it in the 50s and the 60s. So you grew up in Bloomington. Yeah, more or less. Go, yeah, that's right. And did you graduate from one of the high schools? University there? High School. Then you went to IU? Yes. In what field? The business. When you used to come over on the weekends, it must have been oh, quite... We spent the summer over here. Okay, in the park, maybe. Oh, yes. Wow, that must have been fun for a oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you probably had a lot of freedom to run around. And, and I got to be... I know the, the man that was... Uh, like kind of the naturalist yes, or whatever. I learned a lot from him. Then there weren't as many trees, correct? Because it had all been logged in the 20s? Yeah, well, they were all coming back. And then they planted a lot of trees. I remember when I moved here, and even before that, they had a little zoo up there. Oh, yeah. Did they when you were a boy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All kinds of animals, right? Yeah, they had bears, and of course they had... Uh, deer, probably. Deer, yeah. That's before they, before they made the transplant for deer. I mean, before they developed the, the, the new herds. Did he? Did the naturalist take you out oh, in the yeah. woods and oh, yeah. teach you to track animals? And no, no, we just went. We observed them. Really enjoyed them. I really enjoyed that. And you probably developed a love of nature oh, from yeah. it. Were there lots more animals than now, or not so much more? No, I think they probably were, but the, they, you know, they they put them in pens, and, and people came to watch them and things. Like yeah. That. Then your dad had the Nashville House and the park. How did it come to be? You knew a lot of the characters, like Allie Ferguson and all that. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, I used to know the head of the head of the state park. I used to go. He had a log cabin up in the park, and we, I, I used to go and visit with them. So during those years, you kind of developed a love of Brown County. 
and the nature of yes the nature of people the, the, the animals and and the birds and you know we used to go on bird hikes and and uh, we'd go for breakfast sometimes uh, uh, they'd gather some of the people that were staying there and they'd after you graduated from college I think you spent time in the service too yeah, almost four years in the service Navy yeah did you travel well it was during the uh, it was in the fifties. But I didn't, you know, I didn't travel greatly. Where were you stationed? No, on the East Coast. And then you got out of the Navy and... Came back to Brangani. Then's when I went to college, after I got out of service. The government sent me to school. At IU? <laughs> then you graduated from college in business. Mm-hmm. Had you then planned to take over and help your dad? Yeah, it just sort of happened. That's the way life is sometimes, huh? And by then, he, the partners had split up, and yeah. and he he ran the Nashville House in the park. Yeah. I've heard where you live was an old stagecoach stop. That's where I live now. That was the old road from the, the train in Helmsburg came up over Jackson Branch. Boy, that must have been a... <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. It's still gravel. Yeah, well, that's because we won't let it do anything else. <laughs> we won't let them pave it. When I, went, when I first moved up there, I used to drive up the first hill, and I'd just bury the car in the, in the hill and just grind my way up because it was all rutted. And the roads weren't very much in those. And I've heard that originally the commissioner's job here was solely taking care of the roads. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. And that was their big job. And that still is their big job. So over the course of time, have the county and the town have grown? Oh, yeah. For the better, do you think? Well, I don't I'm, I'm not one that can say whether that's better. I would say that it has grown and developed and the town has to, has come right along with the county, although the town has been a little bit ahead of the, the county. You've been very involved politically yeah. in the county. Was your interest because you had the business interest or more because you had a love of... of no, it was because of the interest. Uh, I've served on the county on the school board, county council. I never knew that you served on the councils. I see you at a lot of the meetings. Well, I'm uh, so much as I used to be. Kind of been like a guiding hand. I've been here for a long time. And you've helped foster a lot of... I've done a lot of building here. My father rebuilt the Nashville house, and I um, took it up from there. And, of course, I built a couple of hotels. And I've also built uh, three banks. I've built three three different banks here. Where the ordinary is now, that used to be called, oh, the old hickory or yeah, something, yeah. didn't it? And it was a bar. When they talk about Hohenberger staying at Allie Ferguson's Inn, where was that? The old Ferguson house was an inn then? No. He stayed different places. He stayed and he wound up staying in the Bartley house. Did you know him? Oh, yes. What was he like as a person? Oh, he was a wonderful guy. Oh, my. Just full of stories. And he even started his own newspaper. Do you remember when the artist colony... I mean, we have a thriving artist colony now, but 
Yes. Well, they used to come and they stay in the old Nashville house. Uh, I've got some books where they signed the, the, the books when they signed in and all their names. And, and then they, they'd even draw in the, on the pages and draw, draw pictures. Did you have some favorite artists? No, not particularly. I was too young to be. But I knew them. I knew them. Marie Goff and lots of them. What was Blood Alley down in the south part of town? Yeah. And why did they call it that? I don't know. I've heard rumors. Well, yeah, lots of lots of stories. Yeah. <laughs> Blood Alley was kind of a a low level part of town. The poorer people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard one story that the butchers lived in that part of town. No, I don't know and that. So All kinds of tales about things that happen in, in in places like Blood Alley. Now it's time for some good poetry. Melanie Ray Voland is a local poet living and writing in the hills of Brown County. She has appeared on several shows on WFHB and WFIU. The author of three chapbooks, she is currently working on her spoken word CD. Soon the long twilight There was an empire in the prairie noon, a world dancing in the verdant leaf of rosemary and sage. Sunflowers stood guard, elegant yellow sentinels, as the raw language of wind sliced the silence of the blistering heat. It cut a deep swath in me, like a scythe rustling through tall grass, making way for words and kings. It nearly tore me in half, moan splintering, snapping me like fast hands on field peas in an enamel white bowl. Now, moving slow towards supper, but soon the long twilight, when I will be laid down, taken apart, eaten like the pale peaches and promise of fresh words she held for me, between her palms for dessert in the end of day. If you would like a copy of one of my chat books, please feel free to contact me at oliviadh at yahoo.com. Boy, I sure like that. Let's hear another piece from Marvin Parrish, a tribute to local busker John Franz. There's a man with a long white beard Sitting on the artist's corner Singing songs to people walking around Broken strings tied back together On his old beat-up guitar They're all rusted but they still make a sound All the guests of Little Nashville As they stroll around the shops They sometimes stop to listen for a while some even dropped some money down into his little basket Just to thank him for making him smile When I'm passing by and see him strumming out a song I want to park myself right there and stay all day long Play a song for me, John Franz, play a song for me Well, he's been on the 
this very spot for over 30 years now, giving folks their Brown County serenade. Counting up his tips, making sure the IRS gets their cut out of the money that he's made. In the scorching heat of summer or the cold of December, he's out there giving all he's got to give. And such a wisdom hides behind that simple exterior. You can tell the man has really lived. I sat next to him at the ordinary to have a brew. He's one of the most fascinating cats I ever knew. Play a song for me, John Friends. Play a song for me. Have you noticed how many critters try to get in your house this time of the year? Are you talking about those Japanese beetles, the ones that look like ladybugs? They're all over my doors and windows now. You can't keep them from getting in. Those guys don't bother me as much as spiders. Well, Vera Grubb knows how to deal with them. Eradication. We talked about vacuuming, ceilings, walls, corners. Check. We talked about straightening up piles that might harbor an undesirable check. We talked about using natural, organic, non-chemical methods to work as a deterrent. Check. We talked about totally shaking out the bed linens. Check. You have completed this regiment, so now you can go to bed with complete confidence that there are no spiders in your bedroom. Don't worry. Be safe. Check.
crazy bone, I bone, I bone you. Lazy bone, I bone, I bone. I'm going home, home to numb the bone. Prodigal son, I ain't one. Guess my songs all got some guitar harp. Ride my thumb back home to numb the bone. Thanks for listening to our show. The Brown County Hour is produced entirely by volunteers. This episode's crew includes Bruce Clegg and George Clegg, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Janice Pierce, and Pam Rader. Managing producer Pam Rader, technical producer and webmaster Jeff Foster, executive producer Chad Crothers. Thanks, Slats Klug, for your wonderful music. To listen to this episode or any previous ones, visit browncountyhour.com or wfhb.org. We always welcome new volunteers. You can contact us at bch at wfhb.org. For more information on today's guests, please see our website, browncountyhour.com. Tune in December 15th for Brown County Hour, Episode 14. Thanks for joining us and have a great evening. You've been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home. Brown County home.